Hello everyone, before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about this amazing festival coming up called Yala Punk. It's going to be in Philadelphia, so if you're in the area, you do not want to miss it. It's going to be August 31st to September 2nd, and to quote their website, Yala Punk was created as a direct response to negative depictions of Middle Eastern and North African populations. The event is meant to celebrate the creative accomplishments of MENA individuals and serve as safe, intersectional, and inclusive, free from sexism, Islamophobia, transphobia, homophobia, and bigotry for discourse on social issues. As a community, we will celebrate who we are through music, art, film, poetry, and comedy. And we, Ellie and Alia of the Queer Arabs, are so excited to be there and do a live podcast recording. If you would like a chance to win a pair of weekend passes, all you need to do is go to our Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and you'll see a poster for Yala Punk. Share it on your own page and tag Yala Punk and the Queer Arabs, and you will be entered into a random drawing. The winner will be announced on August 19th. Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Deli. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm Saudi and a lesbian. I am bi, trans, and Lebanese, and we are broadcasting out of America. Yes, and we are talking to a guest in uh, Lebanon. Joseph, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, hello. Um, yeah, my name is Joseph. I actually uh, work with the organization Helm. Uh, most of you might know it. So I basically uh, manage the safe spaces in Helm. And I'm an activist in uh, in Lebanon. How long have you been with Helen? Um, for the past two years and something. I've been an activist for a while now. I used to manage also a gay restaurant and a bar in Beirut called Bar for seven years. So I've been here for a while now. Oh, cool! Very fancy and appropriate since Helen not only does advocacy work, they do they organize a uh, social safe space, if I understand correctly. Of course, and also you know, like I started my activism. As independent activist, I used to have my blog called angrytinkerbell.wordpress.com. Been a while I didn't write, but I used to write like short stories and stuff. And I used to help the organizations through Bardo because it was the main social platform for the LGBTQI community in Beirut. So, uh, so yeah, I used to help in uh, fundraisers, awareness campaigns, anytime they needed a space, uh, anytime they needed to connect with people, and also on leading campaigns. This is, of course, in Lebanon, where we have we had at this point Article Five Three Four. Yes. So the Article Five Three Four Five Three Four in the Penal Code actually is, if I shall say, it's a <laughs> colonial. Uh, law uh-huh. that came with a date because actually if you know um, if you go back to history during the Ottoman Empire time uh, homosexuality was decriminalized in 1858 mm-hmm. which was like a year before Europe and then when the French came they brought us their laws you know and, and we're still with it so it's actually you have a lot of similar uh, articles or, or clauses in several laws in the region that are very similar in the context because of this colonial influence. It basically uh, criminalizes up to one year every 
every sexual intercourse that is against nature. So it doesn't mention homosexuality per se. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, what it's been used for. Yeah, but then but then it's not being used to anything but homosexuality. Right, <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, it gives a lot of room for interpretation. Yeah, yeah. And and so basically we're our aim initially is to abolish this article or to ratify it to state clearly that homosexuality is not included in it, especially with the involvements that happened with the APA declaring that homosexuality in the 70s is not uh, against nature or is not a, a mental disorder and also the, the World Health Organization did the same. So actually we've worked uh, as Halem with Legal Agenda on doing an interpretation that was adopted recently by judges in Lebanon to uh, say this article should not be applied on homosexuality, especially that homosexuality is not anymore a mental disorder and therefore it cannot be cured. It's something part of nature and therefore you know, to say what is nature, nature when homosexuality is part of nature. So therefore, it should not uh, criminalize. So we're trying to find substitutes in order to protect people as much as we can, while the law still persists, especially with the influence that religious figures have in this country. You know, Lebanon is a multi-confessional country, and uh, each confession has a certain power, even on your personal status, and you have like each confession is organizing its laws regarding personal status, like marriage, inheritance, and all of this. Yeah, um, as we've discussed earlier, most gay rights movements all over the world are not only legal advocacy things, they're also social movements to advocate for wider acceptance in their communities. And you've got a tough job because Lebanon is a pretty strongly multicultural society with, of course, the religious leaders who you've mentioned who have strong influence over their respective communities and the opinion of the country. Uh, I think Halim, Halim, you know, Halim was the first organ LGBTQI rights organization that was established in the region, not only in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Halim did a lot of campaigns and that were very useful. One of them, for instance, was creating the neutral term in Arabic uh, of homosexuality, which is mythly. While uh, you, you see in, in the media, whenever they wanted to do a reference to homosexuality, they used to write either pervert or uh, deviant. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, deviant. Oh, yeah. The, two, the two Arabic uh, words. Uh-huh. Or they would go to the Quranic uh, word, which is sodomite. Oh, <laughs> and so it was important to create uh, uh, an Arabic term that is neutral to be used by the media in order to destigmata the you know homosexuality and all of that. Uh, other campaigns were also related to reproductive health and sexual health and all of that. Therefore, we did a great job in um, trying to get our community to be very aware about STIs, STDs, and imposing on the Ministry of Health to take into consideration health of minorities, specifically LGBT health. And so actually we have, uh, Halim has been a start for a lot of initiatives and a lot of, of a movement and a lot of activists who actually came out from the scene of Halim and established their own initiatives. Like, And now we have several organizations working in Lebanon. They were all at a certain time volunteers or workers in Halim like AFE, Mosaic, Marsa, Labmash, and we're in the same coalition. Uh, each NGO is working on specific stuff, and we're trying not to duplicate the work and to, to create a certain strategy to advance together with the rights movement. 
but also we're trying to create a parallel coalition that involves other people as well. Uh, for instance, we're trying to include um, women's rights and uh, along to LGBT rights. We're trying to include us and in women's rights, it's the same struggle and uh, the same oppressor, which is the patriarchal society. Yeah. We believe also in bodily rights and that joins us both, uh, us and women's rights movements. So, so we're trying to create a bigger coalition that includes women's rights, that also includes NGOs that are working on drug users' rights, because also you have a lot of people who are being stigmatized and instead of being helped, they're being put in prison in a very non-efficient way. And uh, that includes also human rights NGOs in, in, in growth and in, uh, in, in the bigger prospect so that we create a bigger impact when, when we want to mobilize them. This parallels a lot of what we've had in the United States, except for on a much shorter timeline. The coalition building, the prevention of duplication across of work, the outreach to the most vulnerable, like people who have a drug problem, and women's rights. I mean, all these alliances were made similarly in the United States, as well as the addressment of public health issues like um, HIV and AIDS treatment and sexual education, because society for us was also lacking in those a lot of parallels workers rights and all of that you know so our our role as activists is not to you know strictly think in a narrow-minded way about okay we need the rights of lgbt and that's it no there is a broader uh, oppressive system that is actually including all of us in this oppression and we need to be strategic about how we need that our fights and how and 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 um, let's say, strengthen our position when we want to do fights with the system. So in that sense. And in uh, Lebanon, from what I understand, I could be wrong. Uh, there are multiple courts serving multiple, like each religious community. Community, is that correct? No, I mean, okay, so you have courts that are related to personal statute. Those are for each community, but the uh -huh. courts they are related to civil rights. Uh, they're unified. So basically, the we had four judges who decriminalized homosexuality in the first degree courts. Uh, they were in different regions, but they don't follow different confessions. And oh, that's okay. Okay, I understand. Um, when did that happen? Yeah, so we had one in 2009 in Batroun. We had one in 2014, 2016, and beginning of 2017. These were the four rulings and they evolved and sometimes they were including trans women and they like each one has a certain specificity so one of them was about a trans woman saying like the gender identity is not something that is put on the id because actually this trans woman was being persecuted because of homosexuality not because of, of being trans because there is legal about being trans in lebanon practically in the law and and the the judge considered that if this person considers herself as a woman then she is a woman regardless of her id and therefore her act of sleeping with a man is not an act of homosexuality in that sense so we had like each court ruling it had its specificity but the problem is that our courts and our laws are uh, follow the french module not the uh, commonwealth module so basically, like in the States, for example, it was the Supreme Court that actually allowed, let's say, gay uh, equality marriage mm -hmm. or, or uh, 
other like codes that decriminalized homosexuality, but in Lebanon it's not the case. So basically, you have the first source of 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 the judge's ruling is the written law, and then comes the what we call in French jurisprudence, which is the previous uh, rulings in the courts. And so now we're creating a new habit of interpretation of the law, which is very essential and crucial because it other judges in the future to have a source to rely on to decriminalize homosexuality as well. However, this is not obligatory to every judge. And therefore, we cannot leave, every, you know, this margin of freedom of <laughs> criminalizing and decriminalizing, yeah. you know, judge. Because that, therefore, we, we'd have had a, a half of a step, you know, like not the full step. So, so our this is why work on the law itself but meanwhile we are trying to try to find alternatives on how to progress and lately in uh, there was a ruling coming out for the first time from a second degree law uh, court sorry which is the court of appeal and basically the fourth ruling of the judge was appealed by the uh, public prosecutor in order to break break his decision so that was kind of another defiance to every judge who is trying to decriminalize homosexuality and they wanted to break his ruling and then the court of appeal you know you have three judges on it so they take the, at the end they take the decision by voting and two of the three judges insisted on decriminalizing homosexuality and therefore, when, when a court of appeal comes with such a position, this is not only one judge. This is representative of the judicial system, you know, because it's a... And so it's, it's, it's also a very positive uh, uh, development uh, in the judicial scene, but it's not the winning of the whole war. In that sense. Yeah, that's huge, though. Um, was that that was very recently, right? Yeah, yeah, like a month ago. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. That's so that's promising. Yeah. Important of the work of Helen, you know, like this is part of a legal services program where actually whenever someone is caught in police stations, we go to police stations, we confront the police, make sure that they know that this person has rights and impose on them by indirectly telling them we are monitoring if you're using people's rights. And this is what we did, for example, in 2015, when they raided a gay hammam in Beirut, it's called Al-Hammam. We wrote a report afterwards that details from A to Z what happened. And they were furious because actually those police stations are relying on help by the Americans or the Europeans. And therefore the funders as governments or as private funders, when they're going to see that those institutions are not respecting human rights and LGBT rights or detainees' rights, uh, this is uh, crazy. So we are trying to push further. And, you know, after that report was written, 99% of the physical abuse has stopped in uh, Hbeish police station, which is the Morality Central police station. And, uh, and then we, so, so we are hiring lawyers, paying the bills sometimes when it's needed, especially for people who cannot afford that. And we continue, if there is a court, 
we continue with them in the court and defend them. And the cases that came out were actually cases of Helm and the lawyers of Helm, who are the legal agenda. They were the ones defending on that header, and they created with Helm this quote, what we call the ideal defense on matters of LGBT and against the Article 534 that is being adopted by the judges nowadays. Oh, that's awesome. Well, the courts are one part of the battle. Any luck with the, the actual law itself? Yeah. For the time being, no. There is actually always talking about modifying it. But then this discourse should not be something going uh, for the public in Lebanon, because when it goes in the public, it will draw the attention of every religious person to put pressure not to do it. However, Lebanon has ratified a lot of international treaties, and then we have obligations as a country towards this, these international treaties and the, 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 what we ratified. And therefore, Helm also write uh, the shadow reports like the uh, UPR, the Universal Periodic Report, and the um, HRCR, which is the Human Rights Committee Report, and, and we face the representative of the Lebanese state with the factual report telling what is all kind of abuses and persecution that the LGBT community is facing. And then all the countries that are there are facing the Lebanese representative with these reports. And they have to give an answer why this is happening. And then the Lebanese representatives are always insisting that the Lebanese state is not persecuting LGBT individuals because they cannot. They ratified conventions where they have obligations, you know. So I think this is actually also another aspect where we can put pressure, you know, in that sense on the Lebanese state by relying on the international community in a sense of institutions that are making sure that human rights are being respected elsewhere in the world. Okay. That's super impressive and a lot of reach for an organization out of one of the smallest countries in the Middle East. It's just... Actually, the funny part, this is the funny part, you know, like, uh, I think this country gets a lot of attention more than that actually, you know, like we're a small country, but we get so many attention, whether positive or negative, like we're everywhere on the media most of the times. And like, even when we did the Idaho campaign this year, and there was, um, you know, they they stopped the, uh, the pride, there is mm -hmm. a pride, which is not a march, but it's a bunch of events happening in different platforms and different initiatives and stuff. And uh, there's this guy who created a calendar to join all of these events in a calendar and promote it. And uh, this year he was summoned to the police station and he had to sleep one night there. And the second day he was investigated and had to sign, in order to get out, he had to sign uh, a commitment to stop these events. So in parallel, us as Helm, we have the Idaho campaign that we've been doing since 2005. And we continued with our use. So we had two platforms, one by Helm mm -hmm. and one by Beirut Pride. The Beirut Pride stopped, but Helm continued. And then the media was here following the campaign of Helm and following the stopping of Beirut Pride. And there were like the Guardian, New York Times, all of these names, they were all here. And you would be surprised sometimes that, I mean, the amount of attention you managed to get from uh, those big institutions, you know, uh, media institutions, 
to come and cover stories related to LGBT rights in such a small country. Well, uh, Lebanon, at least in the foreign press, has has a special place. Well, of course, because of the civil war in the past, but also just as I feel like it's like almost every reporter who's been to Beirut seems to have like a special place in their heart for it. And like, not just like in the news reporters, like even like new, uh, travel celebs like Anthony Bourdain, like famously loved Lebanon. And uh, what was the New York Times writer who really loved Lebanon despite being, what was his, I can't remember. Sorry, I'm spacing out at the moment. You know, not only, not only that, Lebanon actually, I think is considered, um, like this country that is going to serve as a model on so many aspects in matters of rights. And it's not only Lebanon, also Tunisia nowadays is on the rise, you know. Tunisia is becoming very progressive on gender equality rights. And then LGBT rights are coming within the gender equality rights. But Lebanon is being more vocal about LGBT rights. And But then these two countries consider are considered like, uh, I don't know, countries of hope, of light. Yeah, yeah I think they're seen, they're seen around the world as the most progressive of the Middle East. That's important, you know, the precedent that these countries set. Yeah, exactly. And you need actually a model that other countries would follow. If Lebanon one day becomes the first country to decriminalize homosexuality, it would serve as, as a local example and then this idea of the east versus west stops and this idea versus you know this west that is trying to destroy our societies by exporting to us these wrong models that are foreign to our countries this argument would stop and then also from the inside our work is to highlight first of all to make sure that we create a certain activism that relates to the region and is understanding of the current situation in the street or uh, historically or and to give an example to say no in our region there was at a certain time a lot of tolerance for let's say sexual orientation uh, orientations and gender identities that are non-normative in that sense and so yeah i mean we need countries to step up and start serving as a model for the rest of the countries in the surrounding to say no it's not only about europe nowadays it's not only about the states no there are arab countries who are decriminalizing homosexuality because they're being rational about it it's not you, you cannot continue with prosecuting, you know? Yeah. So, um, Right now, is there a pattern of, if someone is detained for something related to homosexuality, what, I guess? Like, like, what happened? Like, take us through it. What happens step by yeah, step? Yeah, what happens to that person? Okay, so let me tell you first that, you know, we're having a lot of progress socially and judicially. However, in the police stations, we're going backwards because of this pressure by religious clerics. So from 2012 to 2016, we had an increase of detention of people under the Article 534 of 100% approximately, which is a huge number. Wow. Would you say this is representative of backlash or perhaps just more a official movement as opposed to unofficial? No, no, it's a, it's a backlash. 
you have religious clerics that are putting pressure. The politicians, they follow the religious clerics because they want to reach to their seats, you know, in that mm-hmm. sense. And uh, so the politicians are not really wanting to criminalize people. It, it is mostly the religious clerics. Like in 2017, we had what we call the Catholic Press Club that was calling for more criminalization of homosexuality. We had uh, Hassan Nasrallah, uh, the Hezbollah leader, for the first time talking about homosexuality and calling for fighting it because it's a Western product that is meant to destroy our uh, societies that are very uh, noble. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, that, that evil Western influence again. Yeah, and we had also the ulama and muslimin last year who were threatening our conference. And, well, we defied that. We went online and they couldn't break us. But still, it's impressive in the same year to have three religious clerics that are representative for the three major confessions go on and address in the media and either it's like they're giving their indirect messages to the police to do the persecution in that sense and so facing that we need to put more pressure on the Lebanese state that well I mean like no I mean eventually the politicians should tell the, the religious people we cannot run out of our obligations like all like recently uh, i don't know if you heard but they're legalizing cannabis usage for medical reasons medical cannabis for our western audience so there are certain points where you have practical matters and then how can you impose this practicality and you know giving the let's say the discourse for the politicians to say we cannot do anything about it, you know, facing facing religious clerics, and so in the police stations, basically they are arresting people. Nowadays they are respecting the fact. I mean, also you have different types of discrimination. So, um, yeah. a little bit discriminated than non-Lebanese, and the problem, you know, Lebanon is a transition country where you have LGBT individuals who are coming from Iraq, Syria, like conflict zones also from Egypt and Jordan and Yemen and Saudi Arabia sometimes to apply for asylum. Lebanon and Turkey, they play that role. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if someone who's a foreigner is caught as LGBT, is not protected or she's not protected as much of a Lebanese nowadays. And so you have double layers of discriminations happening in police stations. Oh, and then wow. what we call the general security in, instead of the internal security. And the internal security, we have power on it because we're monitoring it. It's central and stuff. But the general security, we don't have power on it. And this is where where it's dangerous. So as for if I want to say, so every LGBT individual who's caught anywhere by procedure should be transferred to the central police station mm-hmm. for where you they transfer sex workers, LGBT, and drug users. Okay? And then... Also, we managed to document that sometimes they're leaving them in the police stations that were caught in, and they're going up there because they know we cannot follow every police station. We don't have the capacities to follow every police station. We can monitor the central police, but not the, the other ones. Yeah. And so, so they're creating new patterns to practice their persecution to, to try to flee our monitoring in that sense. 
And if someone is caught, supposedly investigation should take two days that are renewable for two days. And then afterwards, they should be released. But then there are cases where they would tell you, we don't have any much space in our central station. So we had to send them to another police station where actually this four days period would actually be prolonged. And this is also another another problem. Also, one of the problems that we're facing is that they are imposing HIV tests in the police stations and they're making people pay for it, although it's the responsibility of the state. And then some of them who are positive, they're being exposed in front of people that they are positive, which is it doesn't respect the anonymity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and actually some in one case we documented they told someone that he's he he's positive in order and he broke in order to make him break in the investigation. And then at the end of the investigation, they told him, well, we were joking with you. Like, what? What? The f- what? what? Exactly. You know, so so in the absence of of a law that protects and puts like a very rigid end to any type of prosecution people are going to abuse this vagueness in the law to come with their backgrounds and practice really irrational and illegal and inhuman behaviors this is our problem with having this vague law and not having protection for LGBT people. Yeah, and are police still taking? I mean, I'm, I'm sure like bribery is a big part of it. Of course, of course, because actually, there are there are some cases that we documented as well where they are opening um, phones of people and they're summoning people based on WhatsApp conversations. They're opening people's oh. phones without any legal uh, uh, justification. Reason. They don't have a reason to open it. They're not allowed to open it. And they're summoning people based on WhatsApp conversations to ask for bribery. <laughs> Legally, it's it's wrong, you know? So, yeah. this is the case. Wow. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, I have to. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, of course, we have this image about Lebanon that things, I mean, socially, we have gay bars. You have some certain margins of freedoms in certain areas like Hamra Street or Marmechai Street. You have people who are expressing themselves further, people who are becoming more out and living with their partners and stuff like that. But at the same time, we have really, yeah. <laughs> really hypocrite behaviors that are happening. In, like, and, and that all depends on the level of marginalization. Right. Yeah, it, yeah it's important to understand the complexities. Plus, um, it also speaks to this whole the law depends on where you are and who you are, not the law itself. Yeah, exactly. And for those of you who uh, don't keep up, the uh, the bribery thing was also a thing in the United States for a while. People were being arrested and, and just depending on the police in the region, you know, what could happen to you was up to the discretion of the officers who caught you. Mm-hmm. What time period are you referring I'm refer- to? Like in the United States, this was like 80s and 90s. Oh, and, right. And right up until the end of the decriminalization, just but because social stigma and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, but nowadays, but Lebanon has it worse in that respect because smartphones and WhatsApp and, mon- and just, ugh, it, it must be a nightmare for anyone who 
like ha didn't take a minute to secure their phones beforehand. Like now, even we, we're having to actually talk to apps like Grinder, for instance. Mm -hmm. We're creating a dialogue with Grinder in order to make a certain specificities to the area here. You know, like uh, how to protect people if they have it on their phone. Like you can you can have it hidden as an app, and then you know if if you are caught, not to not grinder here and be exposed and stuff like that so we are trying also to spread awareness through sending grinder messages to people and stuff about rights also spread awareness about uh you know different gender identities and all of that so we're trying to reach people in any way possible and uh, it's not an easy battle of course uh, but i think we're doing well but we need to do more I mean, Helm seems to be doing so much. I, I heard about Helm as soon as I met Ellie. Uh, that was like one of the first organizations yeah. you told me about. Uh, yeah, and I've been a fan of Helm since uh, my college days. Back in 2009, like I, I graduated in 2009, so. Oh, so you've been following them for a long time. Yeah. I was so happy when you told me about that, that organization. It's it definitely uh, gives some hope to yeah. the world or to the Middle East. I mean, like, come on, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit optimistic, you know, like in the rest of the world in the 80s, it was similar to what is Lebanon now. Yeah. Right? Then, but in Lebanon, we had the civil war from 75 till 90, which is a major crucial area in the, in the developments in, around the world about sexual freedoms and all of that. So we missed a big yeah, part. Yeah, good point. Now we're trying to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> to catch. But also it's inspiring to see the struggle, you know, like I've met people nowadays who are very critical of how the gay prides are happening in the world, how it's becoming a capitalistic institution rather than, you know, a protest for rights and stuff. Thank you. you. Who don't understand also what why pride is there, how it started what the other people from the previous generation did in order to reach there they just take their rights for granted and stuff so now we're we're in the in the interesting part of course we want to reach a, a time where homosexuality is decriminalized but like seeing people resisting not only us as activists but also every person of the lgbt community the true heroes are those who are being caught and those who are creating artistic uh, stuff going online and viral and defying the society and being out in the face of the society you know like those are the true heroes and they're, they're the ones who are taking the risks along to us us we well we're trying as much as we can to to lead sometimes or to play along sometimes and to to structure sometimes but the real heroes remain those um and lebanon has had one pride so far right yeah i mean the, the, this year was the second edition but the pride so it wasn't a pride in the street like everyone else uh everywhere else it was like more like several events happening in several platforms several places and it was yeah i mean it was something but yeah. but uh, go on the streets and then organize either we don't want to also replicate what's happening for example in the prides in georgia where people are beaten and stuff so we have a responsibility on the safety of people yeah um 
And then there was, I remember seeing something, I think um, earlier this year about um, an event where trans women specifically, I think, were marching in Lebanon, in Beirut. Do you know anything about that? Who was marching? Like, uh, trans people? It was like a trans pride. It, I saw it on Facebook posted. The, trans, the women's pride, women's march in March 8th. Oh, uh, was that? A f okay. Trans committee in Helm and along other trans individuals decided to go visible on the Women's March for the first time in Beirut. Awesome. And they went with the trans flags. And that was very important because also in the feminist or or women's rights movement, you have two, two uh, orientations, let's say. So you have these older feminists who actually are not very accepted of trans women as being part of the women's movement. And you have the, the new wave of feminism that is some people call it intersectional feminists mm -hmm. that were very uh, receptive of the trans community becoming visible within the women. Yeah, Again, parallels that. to the American moment with that. We've oh, also yes. had, uh, we have, we have the term here called TERFs, uh, trans, uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists who are generally considered older yeah. school that, uh, feminists. Yeah. The TERFs that appeared in, uh, the London Pride, and you actually, I, I, I saw a sign in a gay pride recently, lesbians against TERFs, you know, like those people who are not accepted of the trans community, those women who are not accepted of the trans uh, community, uh, the oh. trans uh, community. Mm -hmm. oh, so, wow. yeah, and this is our role, you know, all stand for the trans co co community, and this is, has... Like it has been like I mean I, I've I've watched I don't know you know Marsha the the documentary Marsha John Jones Marsha Johnson um I haven't seen it have you Ellie? no no I have not unfortunately yeah we'll have to um, what's it about yes uh, one of the first black activists in the states and at a certain yeah. time the in the in gay pride in the states they didn't want trans people to be existent in the pride you mm -hmm. know like this discourse has been never ending she went and defied that decision and stood in front of everyone and just calling for all of that wow i didn't know about this i knew about it generally i did not know about her um uh gay gay lesbian and bi people would some of them would make the argument it's like yes we were fighting for sexual orientation and respectability and normalcy in society but why are we taking these um quote unquote freaks along with us uh they don't represent us they are not us yeah. But and they just were and this has been used frequently um, as a negotiating tactic against trans people and to split up the LGBT movement, where they'd say, "Well, we're we're okay with LGBT rights, but we don't want to associate or give any recognition to trans people. They are they're too much." So that's that that's a thing. Yeah, it's basically cis, cis men and women who did that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> An example in the U.S. was the Michigan Women's Festival. It was this huge controversy when it it shouldn't have been. So it was like you had all these people being like, oh, it's a women's festival. We can't allow trans women because they're not like they're not know, real. They're not as much of a woman as as we are. And like they don't know our struggles and uh, their presence triggers us and all kinds of bullshit. Yeah. And Thankfully, the Michigan Women's Festival has stopped, I think, um, entirely, I think like three years ago. 
Yeah. But it was just, it sounded like such a damaging environment um, and toxic and not at all what, you know, our LGBT community should stand for. Um, and more, and also, just as famously, the Human Rights um, Council in the United States, which is this uh, nonprofit advocacy group, at one point when they were negotiating in Cong our Congress, they they were willing to negotiate away trans people from the law in order to get it passed. They were willing to bargain trans people's mm -hmm. rights away to see if they could split them split them up and just to get a law passed for everyone else. So that's a, a familiar tactic to us. Yep. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, we see ground in the, in the LGBT community also, you know, like we have a role to fight also internal homophobia and transphobia. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So true. Um, Ellie and I would love to visit Beirut and yeah, we're just, I know Ellie's a little. I am. I'm pretty apprehensive. Like every time I talk to it with my family, they're like, no, it's not a good idea. No. Uh, why would you want to go? And I'm like, because... Because you're Lebanese. Because this is what I've heard you people talk about for over 30 years. I've heard you wanting to go back, and some of and some of them are now going back and visiting and seeing everything and seeing everyone. And I'm like, I have never seen this as an adult. Yeah. And I'd yeah. like to go someday. Yeah. I yeah. think Ellie's most apprehensive about, like, entering... Like and dealing with the place. Anyway, I'm 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 moving. Anyway, I'm doing a master's in the Hague. So try <laughs> try to wait for me till I come back. Okay. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm doing in the Hague. Uh, it's a master's in human rights, gender, and conflict studies. So oh, that's amazing. So, How long will that program be? Uh, a year and a half. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, not a problem. We do have our travel booked out a mere two years, so we might catch up to you. <laughs> Well, in the meantime, we should take a trip to Amsterdam and do a side trip. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's so exciting. Um, but after that, do you plan to um, focus more internationally or do you plan to come back to Lebanon? I think 10 years I've been working on grassroots work. I think I have this because I studied law. I have already a master's in diplomacy. And now with this master, I'm going to be tackling more like policy making and international institutions where a decision can impact a broader amount of people in that sense. Yeah. So I'm interested in attacking that. Oh, that's awesome. Do you think you want to return to uh, Lebanon after that or you're not sure? It depends, you know, sometimes life takes you someplace. Of course, I'm going to be staying like working closely about Lebanon. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you cannot remove it from your inside, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and work and everything but then, then if i return physical or not that's another issue oh right so awesome i love that you're gonna bring that representation to that program actually i read a little uh, like a week ago something about the um al-kitab party kitab sorry my pronunciation is awful uh, yeah about how they were looking more favorably among gays and lesbians what is al-kitab party about um, uh, yeah, I think. Oh, sorry. I didn't, I didn't hear because the, the internet is not good now. Okay, so um, if I remember correctly, there is this uh, Lebanese Christian party and El Kitab. El Kitab. El Kitab. 
Sorry, um, my pronunciation, again, my pronunciation is not that great. Um, let me see if I can pull up the article so I can read this, do this correctly, because, sorry, it's... Al-Qatai party is like, a, let's say, traditional party who actually endorsed the decriminalization of homosexuality in the, in the latest uh, parliamentary... Uh, yeah, that's the one. Put it in the either. But, you know, they, they are also not a majority. And we had also the alternative, the civil society uh, movements that were running for the first time against the traditional parties. And also they were very pro-LGBT rights. So the, cons- the, the, the subject of LGBT rights was very present in the last uh, elections. And, but then, I mean, you, have, you need more bigger parties to endorse it in order to have it a reality. Well, it's a start. Yeah, yeah of course. And how can people support uh, Helem financially or otherwise from around the world? Well, the thing is, Helem uh, applied to get acceptance from the states. Like, this is a procedure and didn't get it. We didn't get refused. So we could work, but we don't have a bank account. Aww. However, we have a bank account at our sister NGO, AFE. So we have a sub-bank account. Sometimes when people want to donate, we can give them that address. And then they can donate uh through that sub sub account but uh, also people can contact us on social media on facebook twitter or uh, instagram twitter and instagram is halim uh, lebanon and facebook is official page for halim lebanon mm-hmm. also our uh, hotline that is actually whoever wants can contact us it's in lebanon hala it's um, if you want to put the lebanese code it's plus 961 mm-hmm. and one nine one six one four six so i mean uh, whoever needs any help they can contact us through our hotline as well oh thank you i'll i'll ask you to send it to us and we'll post it on our website that and the donation donation link if you yeah. don't mind yeah we'll do that perfect we'll for sure do that um thank you so much this was awesome yeah thank you for having me I, really I learned important. yeah I, I learned so much from just not even an hour. Yeah, and I got to talk about things I've only read about, and now I've actually had to pronounce for the first time. <laughs> I, I hope this was interesting for many people, you know. I mean, when it gets posted, many people would have a clearer idea about how it is like to be LGBT in Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people learn learn a lot from this. Yeah, and hopefully we can dispel that stereo that stereotype that it is completely and utterly awful. It's just it's bad, but it's getting better from my understanding. Well, there are two stereotypes that it's completely awful, and then the other extreme where it's everything's perfect now. But who says that? Who says that? And I I mean, some people uh, say that like Lebanon <clears throat> is the place to be in the Middle East for well, LGBT stuff. Fair. Like the same people who would tell you, oh, being in the state is so perfect for the LGBT community. Exactly. Oh my God. Areas in the states that are like very weird and yeah. they, they are so bad. And uh, also you have the trans people of color who are still being discriminated against and all of that. And, and uh, nowadays Trump is talking about, you know, removing trans people from the army and stuff like that. So, so yeah. it's... You know, people's perceptions sometimes are flawed. Yeah, it's just important to keep that in mind. Like, the the fight is not, not over in any way. 
and yeah. we can't yeah even here in the evil western sphere of the world yeah i mean we live in texas and the place the part of texas we live in is quite liberal but we, there are many parts of texas we would never step foot in together um, yeah like yeah. some less than an hour drive away so it's yeah. just right here yeah um on that note uh thank you everyone for listening you can contact us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com uh on our website thequeerarabs.com we are on instagram twitter and facebook at the queer arabs so thank you again joseph thank you thank you and we will be posting his links online with this podcast absolutely all right bye y'all bye